You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. As mentioned, we, if you're new or fairly new, we do a monthly thing called the Transformation Trek. It's a theme every month that we explore, and this month it's called Living Simply. We've only got two more for the year, but this feels like a bit of a recap over the year because the next one's normally Christmas season related. And so Living Simply, we've called this a transformation trek. Eight or nine themes we explore every year because we don't want to be just a community that listens, but a community that listens and obeys. A community that actually practices what we preach. We want to have a faith not just for Sunday morning, 9 to 11. We want to have a faith that works Monday morning. That is part of what we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's transformational. Amen? big part of what we do here, the Jesus Factory, as I showed that picture a couple of weeks ago. And so today is living simply. And how good is it hearing the kids cheer? Yeah, I think they can hear my sermon. That must be why. They're excited about the new theme, I can assume. (laughs) So seeking simplicity. I've got here, unearth God's deep presence and purpose admits the clutter. Look, I've talked about this guy previously, but I think this is the perfect moment to bring his story back up again. Barry Swartz is his name. He's a psychologist and author, and he gives this TED talk called The Paralyzing Paralyzing World of Choice. Um, Not a Christian, but I really like this story he tells. He tells a story, and I know a few of you know this and a few of you won't. He tells this story of buying a pair of jeans. So he goes to a jean store, And he goes, I'd like a pair of jeans. And the lady goes, great. Is it, and I'm going to get these wrong, my wife worked in retail for 10 or 11 years in jeans, so she could probably tell me more, but boot cut, skinny, straight, black, washed. Do you want holes in them? That's the technical term, isn't it? Uh, Give me some more. Sorry? Bell bottom? Flare? Anyone else? High cut, low cut, midi cut, mid-waist, short-legged, to name a few. And he goes, I just want to buy a pair of blue jeans. I need to replace them. I just missed the day, he says, initially, I missed the day where I could just buy a pair of blue jeans. And um, anyway, he goes shopping and he comes out with what he says is the most comfortable pair of jeans he's ever bought. He said, they're incredible. He goes, these options mean I have the most amazing pair of jeans I've ever purchased. And then he looks around, let's pretend it's Harbour Town, and he sees all the other jean store outlets. And then he thinks about the world of online shopping. And he has this sadness amongst the best perfect jeans he's ever bought that perhaps out there there's even a more perfect (laughs) pair of jeans. And it's silly, but he's paralysed by choice all these choices. He's overwhelmed by the fact there is more out there. He could have more, even though he has the best pair he's ever got. He knows there could be something better. And I love that picture is introing this theme this morning. The paradox of choice, he calls it. I have this image in my mind when I think of living simply of the modern family. The lights are on every, if you were to stand, imagine standing outside. This is an image I had as I was preparing this sermon. Imagine looking outside on the road and looking into a house. And every light would be on, 
dad and mum on their phones or computers checking emails or social media. Kids are watching or gaming on a device. They're connected around the globe. So much activity, so much connection, so much stuff. But nothing is actually happening of meaning or purpose. That's the image. The lights are on and they're home. But nothing of meaning and purpose. So much activity. Perhaps nothing of purpose, nothing restorative, nothing eternal, nothing even restful is happening. But everything's on. That's not the good life I was reflecting on. That's chaos. Our world rejects, hates words like discipline, accountability, order, restriction, balance, and the big sin of modern culture is, dare I say, less. We have placed the crown on ourselves, and we're miserable, though. Here's the thing, we're miserable. Mark Sayers, an author, I'm a big fan of, and a pastor of a Church of Christ Church in Victoria, Melbourne, He says, he reckons this is the latest wave of burnout culture won't come from working too hard. He said it might, but he said latest burnout figures he reckons come from overconsumption. We're burnt out by choice. We're burnt out of what could have been, of doing nothing, being connected everywhere, but burnt out by the options. He calls it overconsumption burnout. I love that and it's scary. I read an article as I was researching this week. And it talked about the growing connection between depression and wealth within young people. How's that? It's been interviewing, and it was from the States, but it was interviewing kids of people of more wealth. And they were seeing higher rates. And it might be they have access to support. It could be lots of things. I know stats can be used in funny ways. But it was really interesting, at least, the connection between more and depression and anxiety particularly with young people. That's all well and good. But this connection is not just made by psychologists, TED talkers or leading research. In fact, it was already taught a long time ago from Jesus. And so let's just look at a parable this morning as we explore living simply and what Jesus has to say about this practice. In Luke 12, 13 to 21, if you have your Bibles, what's on the screen, someone in the crowd said to him, the crowd's around Jesus, they're quizzing him, they're asking him questions of deep importance and some less. Teacher, tell my brother, this person says, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbor between you? I love that. He's a little bit frustrated. He's being, being asked questions like, how do I inherit the kingdom of God or how do I participate? And this guy wants Jesus to do his accounting or family law. He seemed a little bit frustrated. This is just, he's, I, I dare say, he's a little bit disinterested. This is just, I don't care to, to deal with it yourself. And then he said to him, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. He goes, this is not what life is about. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Uh, We just read that. I have no crops. Crops. It's an important part. Just wanted to reiterate. (laughs) Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then you will get 
what, then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Fascinating. We know that guy was, I, I, this is just from knowing people, we know that guy was never going to stop. <laughs> it was bigger barns. It was always going to be more surpluses. Um, but he had this idea that, oh, I'll, I'll settle down one time, and God says, what have you built? I love that last line, though, rich towards God. This is not a story. That, that line says to me, this is not a story, or me saying today that God hates you being successful or he hates you enjoying anything. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't dislike you working hard or having ambition or building something. Not at all. This is Jesus saying that there is a choice on whose kingdom you're living for. We have different, different definitions of rich. Rich for God or rich towards God or what this man thought was rich. I love that. He's saying there's not a... I'm not saying don't have any fun, don't build anything, don't participate with me, don't be part of this thing that God is doing. He's saying choose your kingdom. Which kingdom are you building and ultimately who's the king? And a familiar question I ask a lot, but it really is kind of my theme for the last few years, at least this year. This, is, this question has just constantly been coming back to me and I know I mention a lot, but I think it's the question for 2023 and maybe 2024 and it's this question. Who is the king of your kingdom? everybody's got a kingdom at the moment. This man had a kingdom and God was not the king. This is what Jesus asked is a choice. Who's the king? What kingdom are you building? Who is the king of your kingdom? So many people building storehouses, building kingdoms. It could be a political kingdom. They're so caught up in their political views that that's the kingdom they're building. They're so caught up on their intellect, their status, their money, their, you name it. Or everyone building their little kingdoms and forgetting who the king is. Jesus proposes a different kingdom. One free from stuff, free from chaos. One that is simple but profound, purposeful. Loving God and loving each other. It has order. It has discipline. It has restriction. But for a good and beautiful purpose. There is richness in it. Amen? And I was thinking about this. After all, you can have a billion bricks on a plot of land or a million bags of concrete. That still doesn't mean you have a house. Right? You need a builder. You need order, you need measurements, you need to know how to do that, you need direction, you need restriction to build a house. Just having stuff is chaos, mess. That's not freedom. Although our world will tell you that is freedom. The world tells you you're going to need more, you need more bags of bricks. The second part of this parable that is both challenging and encouraging is this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell him, oh sorry, that start of... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. As mentioned, Jesus almost seems frustrated that this guy is asking him to divide his money. Almost as if to say, hey, good for you, but this isn't a Jesus thing. You've got this wrong. You think this is the kingdom you're building. It's about dividing and who gets inheritance and who gets the money and who worries about this. You, you're not even asking a kingdom question. Not to say, church, if you're thinking, don't, don't bring everything to Jesus. Of course, he wants to hear you bring everything and anything. 
That's not the lesson here. It's what are you choosing to make a worry? It's not about bringing it to God. You're allowed to bring anything to God. But what are you choosing to make a worry? What are you choosing to make a concern? And this leads me to my second encouragement this morning. Also a familiar thing, but we're doing a bit of a recap through this trek this morning. Good versus God. This is my second encouragement in living simply. So much of living simply is not a choice between should I burn 17 buildings down today or should I pray? It's not bad. Hardly ever is it something desperately evil and then a good thing. So much, I believe, in our modern era of living simply is about choosing God over good things even. I know this church. I know a lot of you. I know your choices aren't evil and good. Like I said, it's not 17 buildings. Should I burn them down today or should I pray God? I'm so confused. It's normally a good thing that's competing with your God thing. It's a choice of unburdening ourselves with good things in favour of God things. Who's familiar? I want to know before I read how much I read is who's familiar with the Mary and Martha story? Raise your hand if you've heard that before. If you haven't, that's totally okay. There's this story of Mary and Martha in the Bible. And they invite the disciples and Jesus over for lunch. Now, I imagine if you've invited Jesus and the disciples over for lunch, you're doing a good thing. No one's evil in that situation. And then you're preparing for them. And we know Martha's off there preparing food for Jesus and disciples. That is a really, really good thing. And then she notices Mary sitting there at his feet listening with the other disciples and she becomes frustrated. So frustrated. So spiteful. So angry that she goes and tells Jesus. She tells on him. And he says this in Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Is Martha choosing an evil thing by inviting people over and feeding them? No, she's not a villain in this story. She's just not choosing the God thing in that moment. And I would dare say they're going to have to eat at some point, but her overstress, her anxiety, her concern about Mary and leading to anger, that's the bit that Jesus is calling out. At some point they're going to need to prepare some food. That's not the evil part. It's that she's chosen the wrong priority. She's chosen the good thing over the God thing. So what good things in your life, as you consider this month, in simplifying the way you live. And we're going to get to why in a moment. But as we explore this idea of cutting back and living more simply, what good things in your life right now are getting in the way of God things? Is it comfort and security? Gee, it'd be good to have some more money behind us. Gee, it'd be good to have one more house. It'd be good to work a little bit more. I'll sacrifice relationship in this season just to get a little more ahead. Oh, it doesn't matter if I'm not seeing the kids right now in this season as much as long as I get here. Again, some of us have to. I'm not knocking you. This is not, a convi- this is not meant to be convicting your life. I know things are tough as well at the moment. It's just about asking God realistically, going, where have I put you 
in terms of good things. Because working hard is a good thing. Ambition or recognition. If I just get to that next level, I can help more people. I've told you this before. My prayer for 10 years was, God, if you just make me a famous rock star, oh, my testimony will go so much further. <laughs> legit, you laugh, but that was legit my prayer. If this album gets picked up by a label, man, I will, I'll, I'll make you look good, God. How gross is that? But it was honestly a little bit of my prayer. Turns out he definitely doesn't need me <laughs> to make him look good. But I was lying to myself because I was just—that wasn't. I was choosing what I thought was a good over God, even a smart thing to do. Well, it'd be a bit silly. Yeah, that's taking some time away from some stuff that I should be doing that God's asking me. But it'd be a bit silly to give that up. Bit irresponsible. Not to take that extra commitment or opportunity. Or maybe it's a guilt thing to do by family, friends, or society. Oh, you don't have your kids in a third sport. Oh, do you love them? We know, I know parents are laughing at that because that is the literal pressure. 17 instruments, three sports. It's a real thing. Not that many, I'm exaggerating. Even church work. Religiosity. Guilt from church peers. Now, I want to push back. Can I, can I give a little pastor poke? Is that okay? We okay? We, we're mature. You understand my heart. I talk about this a lot and I think it's my heartbeat. I don't want to be a church that's about religion. And so you will often hear me. Again, I was away last week preaching in another church. I want to be a church that is kingdom-minded. I don't want the sole part of our church to be Sunday morning. It's a great part. So you often hear me talk like that. Don't get caught up in religiosity. Don't get caught up in that. And that's good and I'll keep preaching that. Can I just give my little poke? Why is it that church is always the first to go, though, when we look at balance? Time and time again I'll hear, and I'm in family world, so I'm not cho choosing a family, but I'll hear, that's who I'm talking to a lot of here, families go, oh, we're really exhausted this week. We couldn't give up the seventh instrument. We didn't give up the third sporting commitment, but we're just going to give Sunday morning a miss. Now it's okay if you've had a Sunday off. This is my little poke that you said I could do. <laughs> Can it be something else? If it's a reason you're not part of a small group, it's a reason you're not connecting deeper, Yes, absolutely, you need balance and it's not about religiosity. But just check it's not the 50 other things you've committed yourself to. Is that okay? We okay? We can do some counselling after. I'm feeling that. I, just, I know that we're not being religious, but at the same time, God wants you in these rhythms. God wants you here. It's good for you and the kids. It's good for you and the family. It's good for you. Just check there's not 50 other things before you decide to make the balance sacrifice your church commitment. But again, don't get religious about it. You can tell I'm torn. Thank you for letting me poke you. I put places, a little poke from your pastor. That's what I just put. But so, so let me ask a question. What things, even good things, are getting in the way of what God has for you? What things, even good things, are getting in the way of what God has for you? I ask this humbly this morning. And then my next question, what is the harm? What's the harm though? Can't we do it all? What is the harm? Honestly, this morning, am I being a little bit, is this over the top? What's the harm here? If I do some good things and then I sometimes miss some God things, what's the harm? We're all in church right now. 
Why explore this, Steve? Why let the Holy Spirit even convict us or challenge or encourage us towards simple living? It's not that bad, is it, to try and juggle things? It's not that bad to get distracted. The answer, I believe, is clearly in the Bible is yes, it is, can be, is that bad. It's dangerous for you. We're not created to juggle, to try and hold so many things at tension. Says the Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where the treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Focus your heart. Focus your treasure towards where God is leading you. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. I love that. If you're looking at this stuff, that's what's coming in. That's what's forming you. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's talking about being torn. You can't look at light and dark. No one, and if he still didn't have the point, he makes it even clearer. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or you love the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I love this. He doesn't give us any choice. He doesn't say, be careful not to have two masters. You might serve one. He says, you will end up serving one and hating the other. That's how it goes. We can see human beings love camps to camp in. We love black and white. We're going to head towards a direction. You're not going to truly hold it or juggle it or have that intention. The society will tell us you can have it all. It's not true. You can't have it all in a worldly sense. No one should serve two masters. No one can. Master is a strong word, I get that. But what we own can so easily own us. Do you know that you get another car and then all of a sudden there's another service you need to do. There's another cleaning you have to do or not cleaning and then feel guilty about not cleaning it enough. Whatever it is, it starts to own you, right? Yeah, when you're young, you want to get a house, you want to get your first house. And then all of a sudden, I don't know about you, you wish you didn't get your first house because <laughs> it's probably a fixer-upper and there's stuff to do and you're not a tradesperson, speaking about me. But... It owns you, right? Those lawns, summer. Gee, they grow. I swear I turn around just to put the mow away and it's back up again. Like it just, I know it's silly, but it's little. It owns you. And that's not evil. It's not good. We, I own a house. I'm not saying that's evil, but every little decision, you own something more. There's more responsibility. It starts to own you. Each item is another commitment. Each pursuit comes with another service. And I was going to have my phone up here, but you know what they look like, so that's okay. <laughs> Pretend I'm holding a phone. This thing, see? We got it to apparently make life easy, but now we end up replying to emails well into the night, some of us, after work hours, into family time. It literally beeps at us now. We think we own it, and it's literally saying, play with me, open me, read that text. It yells at us if we have it on loud rings at us and we think we own it serve me listen to me let me speak into your life again you used to be able to take i know many of you won't remember this and heaps of you have more experience with this 
but apparently you used to be able to have a phone and you just take it off the hook. And I remember my parents, Sunday after church, when it was family time, would just take the phone off the hook. But what if, like, something cool happens on Facebook? How did you guys live? (laughs) What if someone had it, like, went to the beach that day and took a picture of the perfect beach? (laughs) I honestly don't know how you live without it. I, this is a side, I, again, got to remind myself this is not stand-up, so I don't need to do a bit. <laughs> however, however, how funny is it that you used to say to someone, meet your dad, and for me it was Runaway, Runaway Bay Shopping Village, but you say to a friend, I'll meet you at 4pm at Runaway Bay Shopping Village, and they would just know that's when they meet you in a week. How crazy is that? No text, you're still coming, I'm running five minutes late, just meet me in the food court. That's crazy. That's, anyway, that's not it, I'm not doing, that's crazy, but... So simple, so much simpler. Now we beep at each other like seven times. You're still coming, are we right? Can we miss it? Sorry, I'm I'm running a bit late. Jeez, Josh Becker, a Christian pastor that became a successful author and thinker around the minimalist movement. He's got a blog called Becoming Minimalist. He tells the story of clearing his garage, rearranging it each weekend. He said they originally got the garage for cars and then it became for their stuff. And each weekend he'd rearrange it and he just, he'd constantly be saying Saturday morning to his kids, no, I can't play today, I can't kick the footy, I can't do that because I'm rearranging the garage. Until one day he just went, I haven't used anything in this garage. I'm just rearranging stuff. It owns me. So he chucked it all out. Or he actually taped up the boxes and if he didn't open it within six months, he chucked it out. That includes photos. Photos you'll never look at again. But he chucked it out. And he spent time with his kids that owned him. Things, these things. Why? Why talk about this morning? Because these things start to own you. They become your master. Less can be more. At worst, it changes you, as the passage here states. It lets your focus shift and it starts to let darkness in, every little distraction. And ultimately, with darkness comes distraction. destruction. We become consumed by the world. Jesus implies in this parable, if we don't become destructive, at very at the, sorry, either become destructive or at the very least we just become nothing. Like the guy that has the big storehouse and it means nothing at the end of his life. So we either get distracted and just do nothing with our life or it leads into darkness and consumption and we get taken over by it. Either is not good. Imagine being so busy maintaining a lifestyle that we don't even know our neighbour. Imagine our families being so active with activities that they don't know how to be present with each other and God. Imagine being so anxious about activity that you forgot God was with you and that he just wants you to sit at his feet like Mary. Imagine all the people God has placed in your life that could have this type of freedom, that could know of his freedom and his good news if you just had time to share it with them. Spend time to get to know them. But no, we have to take that extra shift because we really need a new lounge set. So I want to end on this. The gospel, of course. Why do I speak on this? Why as a church am I asking you to consider this? This is not some Netflix special on decluttering. I'm not just trying to do some TED talk on owning less. 
That's all solid advice and maybe go watch a Netflix series on decluttering. It's not evil. It might mean for you decluttering. It might mean some practical things. I hope it does. But the heart of this message this morning, the heart of this theme this month is as a church, we would look deeply within Jesus' teaching, within his ways, within his call to live simply, that we would choose a different richness. We would do, choose his kingdom's richness. Colossians 3, 1, 4 says this, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. These are good things. He's saying that you can build something eternal with purpose, be involved with something greater. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And Hebrews 12, 1, 3 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You have a race. You have a purpose. God has a plan for your neighbours. God has a plan for the people he's put in your life. How devastating to forget that, to lose that, to not do anything about that because we're too busy checking our emails on our phone. We're too busy looking at the neighbour's car thinking, I've got to save up and get one of those instead of seeing what they need. This is why we preach on this this morning. There's a better way, a better kingdom, a better richness. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and protector of our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you know Jesus this morning or you're just getting to know him, do you know that he wants to participate with you? Do you know that he has a race marked out for you? He has a way, he has a truth and he's given his life for that, for you. That's the ultimate minimalist move Forget just living out of a bag. He's given it all, his whole life, so that you may have life. And I bet as he was up there, he wasn't thinking, I hope they spend it on their phone. <laughs> I hope they spend that life waiting for me to come back, accumulating stuff. Again, there's no... I'm, I was deeply... I spoke to Mez yesterday as we went for a walk. I said, I'm so convicted personally by this sermon. I'm convicted. I'll be on. Oh, I could tell you. So you just know that it's okay. I'm convicted by the phone thing. That's why I keep mentioning it. I think I'm addicted to the thing. As I did this thing, and not in some. I'm embarrassed by that because it's just a phone. But the games and, and yeah, just I can't let it go. And as I was literally preparing a sermon and got distracted by an egg factory game that produces eggs. <laughs> as I was doing sermon prep on a Saturday, while I was meant to be spending time with the kids on a Saturday. So I was already putting a good... It was good. It's a, my sermon, though, so that's good. That's okay, right? No. So I was doing sermon work. Well, I should be spending time with kids, but I wasn't doing sermon work because the egg factory had a bonus on the weekend and I wanted to produce the eggs. How stupid, but how dangerous, how silly, how distracting. How just... So that's me. I need to, I need to put order on that thing. I, it needs to have a curfew for me. It needs to have a bedtime... 
and it needs to not be in my bedroom. I need to go, good night, phone. I'm going to go now talk to my wife. Good night, phone, for the weekend. I'm now going to spend time with my kids. I, I need to do that, and I know I joke, but it's seriously, I'm going to get to the end of my life and go, wow, 14 billion hours working at the egg farm. And, and kids, kids, that's literally how it's going to go. So, silly, but maybe for you, I tell you that, because sometimes this is silly, but it's very real. I invite you to throw off everything that hinders. Be a, be, be a person, church. Let's be a church not too busy to care, not too busy to love, not too busy to be present. Let's grow in trust and be non-anxious presences. Let's not grow in anxiety, but grow in peace. It might mean less stuff. It might mean less comfort. It probably means less leisure. But it means more holiness, more spirit, more grace, and a little less rush. So what is the Spirit saying? I'm going to ask the band to come up. What is the Spirit saying to you this morning as we unpack this practice together of living a little bit more simply? For you, it literally might just be a decluttering of your garage. For me, it'll be putting some restrictions on my phone. So just calm down with it. I don't know what it's for you, but I ask right now, what, who is the king of your kingdom? What good things are getting in the way of God? Because he wants to do so many God things in your life. He wants you to choose a different richness, one of purpose, one of eternal value. It's not even a fair choice. And do these things own you? What owns you at the moment? What's demanding your time and your energy that is not from God? And then honestly, just as we sing this last song, maybe we've got a couple of songs. Ask this question. What is the Spirit prompting in you? What is one thing you can do besides picking up a practice guide? What's one thing you can do this month? Get rid of, fast from, abstain, and replace it with a God thing. Or maybe just rest in God. Let me pray. And then we're going to stand and sing a couple of songs. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your spirit wants to work in us. We repent. I repent. Of constantly getting distracted from things that are not from you. You don't just want to take away our toys. You don't want us to not have fun. You don't want us to not live life. You don't want us to not enjoy life. None of that rubbish. You want us to have the most full, purposeful life that we can have. And that only comes in you. Not from stuff. Not from status. Not from more. But maybe a little less. So that you can fill the void. Maybe we need to be bored sometimes so that we actually stop to listen to you. So Father, I just pray for more of that, more of you, more of your spirit, more of your kingdom and less of ours. Prompt now, give us an action, give us something we can do, one little big step in our life to live more freely, live more simply, but profoundly in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.